At my seminary, one of the exciting things we got to do was plunge. Plunge happened our senior year, and the idea was that we would be plunged into parishes different from our sponsoring congregations. So I came from a small, multi-ethnic, working-class parish in Seattle, and I was sent to a large, working, a, a large, wealthy, white parish in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. It turned out to be more of a learning experience than I anticipated. First, this is naive, but I didn't know there were different cultures in the United States. <laughs> I thought Americans were Americans, and we are and we aren't. Our first night there, our host told us about their daughter who was going to head home from her first semester at college in North Carolina because they were too northern for her. One night, my friend from Denver and I went out to dinner. When the waiter approached, she started, can I get a Coke? No, uh, do you have Sprite? I think I want a Sprite. And we're super hungry. Can we get an appetizer? What appetizers? Do you have tater tots? Let's do an order of those. And I think we're ready to order. Are you ready to order? My friend was talking to the waiter and me. And when we looked at him, his eyes were wide and he was leaning back. And he said, where are you from? <laughs> I'm sure that by now he knew that our clothes and our posture were from out of town, but then she started talking and removed any doubt. We also learned about bless her heart, which I think is more communally known now, but back then um, we were on a driving tour of town and we passed the church school and our guide pointed at one of the teachers and said something kind of awful about her and said, as if to absolve herself, bless her heart. But one of the hardest parts of the whole trip was a woman that I will call Susan. Susan was a challenging person. She was late to every, every class. And then instead of quietly slipping in, she'd come in and pick just the right desk and she'd take off her big coat and wrestle it onto her chair back and then she'd get out her laptop and start it up, and sometimes it would even make that awful Windows starting sound, the wah. And then she'd fish out her water bottle and put it on the table and get her notebook and her pen and put those out. She totally didn't care that she was late and disruptive. And she had strong opinions and expressed them in a way that belittled those who didn't agree. She didn't stay for community events, so she never really gelled with the rest of our class. Plunge was its own class. We prepared and then went, and then con concluded with a group presentation and a paper. Remember group projects in school? Where are my high-achieving AP honors tag friends? How many times were you the one who did all the work so the apathetic albatross group you were assigned didn't drag down your GPA? <laughs> I, I see you out there. I'm not alone. In seminary with a group of adults, there was the opportunity for truly shared work, a utopia, except the three of us didn't get along with the fourth. Before we even left for Baton Rouge, we had to have an intervention meeting with our puzzled professor trying to work out interpersonal problems that had cropped up. And she wasn't better once we got there. The church was a hard assignment. The two priests in charge were out of town, and it was a place that largely didn't support women's ordination. 
The three women on our team were lent a family minivan, and our male peer drove a shiny silver BMW SUV. No joke. He was really proud of that. At one house, we were eaten up by fleas, and at another, I slept under a Confederate flag tacked to the ceiling. And we were there over George W. Bush's second election, which was a charged time to be in a red state for a bunch of blueberry Yankees. Susan was on brand and awful, late, conspicuous, non-collaborative. But it's possible, perhaps, that I was also not my best self. <laughs> my better angels may have been shaking their heads. I'll say this, at my funeral, when people tearfully remember my finer points, it's likely that my loved ones won't be talking about how I treated Susan. Today's gospel is one of the recommended readings for funerals in the Book of Common Prayer, and the one that families choose most often. It starts in a soothing place. Jesus said, do not let your hearts be troubled. In my Father's house there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you to go, that I go to prepare a place for you? It's balm for a heartbroken moment. Don't worry, Jesus has this. The Gospel of John was written a little later than the others. John's story overlaps with Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but also does its own thing. John poetically and unapologetically holds space for the mystery through signs, metaphor, and analogy. It's the gospel that we use for major feast days and all of the season of Easter because so much of what we believe is beyond words and definition. God, God coming as human, God who died and rose again. Like so much good poetry, John helps us to understand the incomprehensible by using the ordinary experiences of our lives. We know what a home is, so Jesus promises to take us to one in the next life. Does he mean literally? Is there a room with floral curtains and your name on the door? Maybe. But God is our home, the love that we came from and the love that we go back to. So perhaps literally, or maybe in some other way that we can't imagine and don't have words to describe but maybe is a hard place to wait. So Thomas asks the question on many minds, how, do we, how will we know where you're going? And mysterious Johannine Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. If you know me, you will know my father also. Still his friends don't get it. Lord, show us the father, Philip asks. Jesus is annoyed. The disciples are worried about the next life, and Jesus is telling them, I have that part. You do the good work here and now. He concludes with marching orders. The one who believes in me will also do the works that I do, and in fact will do greater works than these, because I am going to the Father. Jesus is about to go. He knows what is next. And he wants the disciples not to worry about that. The next life is taken care of. Jesus wants them to do what is right in this one, to do what he is doing. He has demonstrated and shown them, and he is telling them to do that. Teresa of Avila follows on here. Christ has no body now but yours, no hands, no feet on earth but yours. 
Yours are the eyes through which he looks compassion on this world. Yours are the feet with which he walks to do good. Yours are the hands through which he blesses all the world. Yours are the hands, yours are the feet, yours are the eyes, you are his body. Christ has no body now on earth but yours. Jesus says that through him we know God, and Teresa says that it is through each other that we know Jesus. I wonder what Susan knows about Jesus through me. We came back from plunge and wrote our paper and did our presentation. Also in seminary at chapel, we picked our seats for the year and left our books there, our books and sometimes icons or pictures or other things that claimed the space for ourselves. Susan picked her seat last, of course, and sat right in front of me. For the rest of the school year, I had to give Susan the peace at every Eucharist. Do you know why we do the peace? So that we come before God with clean hearts, disencumbered of the sin between us and those around us? Oh my gosh, right? Every communion was an existential wrestling match for me. So I prayed for her and for me and asked forgiveness and took communion. And then I did it again the next time. I wonder how our relationship could have been different if I sought out the divine spark of love that resides in her. If I had stopped to wonder what made her late or why she didn't feel self-conscious about what time or how she arrived or about what in my cultural background made me so offended by it. Tracy Blackmon posted yesterday, no matter what others call you, God calls you beloved. What about that? I believe that Susan is beloved of God, but what if I treated her as if that had been true? And what if, what if I remembered that I was Christ's hands and feet in this world, an embodiment of God's love sharing with those I encounter in my brief time in this world? What if I'd asked questions and empathized and tried to like her from the very beginning? I am embarrassed and sorry for our plunge into bad behavior. At chapel, we were welcomed back, welcomed back with a fancied up plunger, one of the old school ones with the big brown rubber cup <laughs> decorated with ribbons and silk flowers. It probably wasn't commentary on our behavior, but it could have been. <laughs> In about 10 days, we will celebrate the ascension when Jesus returned to God for good, to wait at the gate, to shepherd us home when it is our time. And until that time, we are his hands and feet, the eyes of his compassion. This gospel starts with, let not your heart be troubled, the your here in Greek is plural, while the heart is singular. Jesus offers balm to the one heart that beats in all of us. Fierce love, deep kindness, thoughtful care, genuine forgiveness. It pumps through each of us together. Let our hearts not be troubled, 
but beating or even pounding with passion, love, and a hunger for justice until we meet Jesus at the gate on our last day.